passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Man, Elias! I'm looking at a rock star right now. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm looking at. I'm looking at a rock star. But you want to know something that's sad? Instead of coming out here and giving these people what they want, you're out here singing the same sad, tired diss track. <laughs> the same one. It's embarrassing. See, that's the difference between okay, you okay. and me. Okay, okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. Whose kid is this? When Ryan's when it's time to begin, it's on the rewind around with John Pollock and waiting. The A-team that makes sense of these things we see in the ring every week on TV. It's Rewind Around for Monday night, download a Tuesday morning from the post wrestling site. It's Rewind Around for Monday night on USA now on the John and Wade take the mic. Hello everybody, it's John Pollock along with Waiting. It's Rewind Raw. The show you have downloaded is the show you are going to receive. Man, there's so much going on. How are you doing, Way? Doing good. Yeah, yeah, busy. Let's get down to business. The world never stops. Uh, We're coming off of Hell in a Cell, and we've got about 400 shows coming up for the WWE. They're promoting them all at once. I don't know if there's a free weekend before the end of the year. It's insanity, Way. Um, let me look before the end of the, well, we don't know, I guess the whole schedule, but yeah, um, I don't know how many of them they're going to be. Do you have Thanksgiving plans this year? No. Oh, you don't. Do you want to come over for Thanksgiving? Um, I'm okay. Thanks. (laughs) Honesty. (laughs) I love it. No, I'm all right. Um, I probably will be watching Raw. It's a Monday. Oh, I was talking the Sunday, but uh, oh. I'm sure you have. I'm sure you have plans. Yeah. Well, we have lots to get into. We're going to be talking about Raw. We're going to go through uh, lots of news that's happening, and we'll also chat some of the highlights, if there were any, from today's New Japan card in Beppu. Did you watch uh, some, all, or none of this New Japan card? I watched the uh, last three matches. All right. Well, we'll we'll save that for after Raw. Um, and it will be brief. And then we'll get to your feedback as well. So uh, many things to discuss, but let us start off with a quick look ahead to what is coming up this week. Wait, do you want to uh, give give a sneak peek of what is to come in the days that follow here at postwrestling.com, our prestigious website? Yes, of course. Yeah. Well, if you're listening to this, that's great. Thank you very much. Tomorrow we have Rewind to Smackdown also on the free feed, but on the Post Wrestling Cafe Patreon feed, we have a huge edition of the double shot. Not only will John be talking about what what, cmll that's right i'm gonna i'm gonna finally chat about cmll which my computer tried to sabotage but uh, i have outsmarted my laptop and i will have a review of cmll's anniversary card on the double shot 
We'll also have a brief chat about uh, the Mick Foley 20 Years of Hell special that aired after the Hell in a Cell yesterday. Did you happen to catch this? I've watched the first 15 minutes, and I'm going to try and watch it tomorrow, it's, uh, the rest of it. It's it's long. It's an hour and 15 minutes. It's basically a set, and it's it's excellent. So I recommend that you... Uh, You've watched uh, the whole thing? Yeah. Uh, okay. Along with, like, they, they released over the weekend a great 20-minute feature as well on the Hell in a Cell. This one is kind of very similar, but this is more just kind of Mick standing up in front of a crowd talking on his own, and I recommend watching both of those. So we'll be chatting a bit about both of those things, along with any other things that we'll, we'll be watching. Uh, also, uh, Wednesday, the British Wrestling Experience returns, and then on Thursday, up next, as well as Forever Young is going to be out. They'll be talking about those two shows. And then on Friday, back on the Post Wrestling Cafe, John and I will be talking about our next edition in our MCU Marvel Cinematic Universe review series, The Incredible Hulk. Can't wait for that one. That's going to be a lot of fun. And the week rounds out with Eggshells on Saturday. One of my favorite shows to listen to. I love this show each week. It's a new year. This year, we're up to 2002. Chris Charlton is going to be joined by Lee Daly, who is putting together his own book on the history of Pride. So that is uh, coming out. And then Sunday, one more show on the cafe, a review of New Japan's Destruction in Kobe card, as we are going to see... Hiroshi Tanahashi take on Kazuchika Okada. The winner will receive uh, the briefcase for A, a Wrestle Kingdom title shot, and B, a Kobe stake. Is that part of the stipulation? No, but I think it'd be kind of nice if they did that. Well, I thought, I thought Yoshihashi was going to be part of this deal as well. Maybe maybe he himself will present the stake yeah. to the winner. Yes, mm. and thus there will be High stakes involved on Sunday's card. Okay. Moving on. We don't have time for jokes. We don't have time for puns. we got to get into some news. There is lots to discuss. The WWE confirmed their return to Saudi Arabia Friday, November the 2nd. Uh, we reported on this earlier today. It's going to be WWE Crown Jewel. Not the greatest Crown Jewel, just the Crown Jewel. And it will take place from... King Fahd International Stadium in uh, the capital city of Riyadh. This is a 60,000 or so seat stadium. Uh, we've got the three-way announced with Roman Reigns, Braun Strowman, Brock Lesnar. It is happening on November the 2nd. It's also going to feature a World Cup tournament. They have not announced any specifics if the this will be a single elimination tournament, if they are all going to be playing soccer I don't know what this is going to entail, but we're going to get a WWE World Cup tournament unless FIFA issues a cease and desist for that marketing. Well, I mean, uh, I think you can put this along with the uh, Greatest Royal Rumble trophy as well as the the Salvador Cup or whatever the British Bulldog won oh. on that edition of uh, the Royal Albert Hall house show as one-off trophies that... Uh, are just kind of bullshit things that they make up to make a, a house show seem special. Uh, but sure, whatever. I think this is something we all expected. Um, the timing uh, of the announcement, I guess, kind of makes sense. You know, you can only really juggle three pay-per-views in the air at once if you want to promote it. But I think what really just stood out to me was just how this comes only, what, five days after WWE Evolution? And I really do feel now uh, that the timing of that Evolution pay-per-view really is no co coincidence um, to really kind of, you know, uh, satiate, I suppose, uh, 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 some of that, that uh, criticism 
that, hey, how come you're not allowing the women on this show? Well, they had their their own show five days before. Yeah, I find it interesting. You know, I, I, I look at, you know, so many issues to this show, and I do feel the criticism of this show is going to be maybe even more than the first show just because of so many things that are going on there that are going to be tied to this and with the timing of the Evolution pay-per-view. And also, you know, if if everything is the exact same as the last show, which we are led to believe it will be, I think the timing of promoting Renee Young and then she's not going to be there, I, I think that's a really bad look too. There's no good way, I think, of, of trying to really excuse this Crown Jewel Saudi Arabia deal. It's the, the I mean, it's... The facts are they are being offered a ridiculous amount of money. This is why Shawn Michaels is coming back. This is why Brock Lesnar is coming back. And they, for whatever reason, feel like it is worth kind of sacrificing any of that type of... Well, I mean, of course they, they feel that way. But, you know, it is worth sacrificing any type of weird moral, uh, uh, I don't know, um, uh, justification in order to do that show in Saudi Arabia while also at the same time trying to promote this all women's pay-per-view five days beforehand so that they can uh, somehow kind of turn this negative into a positive in their own way. Yeah. I think that they, they are adverse to criticism when it is mainstream media outlets that are criticizing them. That is when you see the WWE respond or when there are advertisers that get upset. But if it is limited to uh, sites like ours, wrestling media, I don't think they even raise an eyebrow at that kind of criticism. I think they, they totally expect it, and it's it's almost in a vacuum to them, that criticism. It is when it gets outside of that that world and into larger outlets, that's when you see. And I'm curious if this does become a bigger focus than the first show did, which I, I don't know how many major outlets out there um, paid oh, a lot of attention to it in comparison. Yeah. I mean, I certainly don't really see it. I mean, I think, you know, you'll always have, have sites like ESPN or, or even uh, – ESPN certainly I don't think will touch any of, uh, of, of that. Maybe a little bit in a, a bit of a mention. Like even if a Sports Illustrated were to mention it, I feel like it'd be sort of in like a niche corner of like sportsillustrated.com and it wouldn't really be such a big deal. Wrestling I think still kind of exists in a bit of a kind of like a niche zone where, um, you know, mainstream sites might touch on a big deal like a Ronda Rousey or something like that. But I think like big issues like this, that to to you and I that might seem a big issue, in, to in the grand scheme of things, probably won't won't affect the mainstream or reputation of the WWE all that much. I just see, given who the WWE is and some of the things that they have done, it is just it's on the table for a John Oliver to dissect this deal and showcase the highlights of two wrestlers representing Iran who come out and are booed by the, the Saudi Arabians who fight them off. And then there are death threats issued in the aftermath of this. Like, it's just, they're, they were so blatant about it on that show that they are just, they're wide open for somebody to take a closer look. And given that it's the ridiculous, the ridiculousness of the WWE mixed with serious real world politics and mm -hmm. conflict, it's such an easy story to do if you're a John Oliver. For sure. Absolutely. I don't, I mean, it's possible, but I feel like a big part of the mainstream audience who watches John Oliver will just see that and it's just, you just kind of laugh it off as like wrestling being wrestling. This is what wrestling does. Hulk Hogan, you know, uh, during the Cold War, 
you know, fighting against uh, Russians or, or I don't know, start slaughter and 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 Iran and and all that stuff. It's it's just what wrestling does. But I feel like you know maybe our audience and maybe you and I have kind of like a more uh, maybe we expect a bit more from our professional wrestling in 2018. But I don't know if the mainstream does. Uh, some other news: the Emmy Awards were Monday night. And Glow was up for a number of awards. They did not win any. Uh, they fa- They were nominated tonight for a Best Comedy Series, Best Supporting Actress in a Comedy Series, also for uh, directing uh, in an episode. So no wins. I think they may have won some technical awards that were handed out earlier. But hmm. of the major awards, uh, they did. They did not. Uh, they did not walk away with any hardware on Monday night. Did you see any of the Emmy Awards? No. I imagine not. No. No, I didn't. Didn't even know they were happening. But, um, you know, it's it's cool that they they were even nominated. I, I really enjoyed that show. I really have no idea what else is going on in the television world uh, as far as their competition goes. So I can't really say whether or not they would have deserved to win. It's a big night for the marvelous Mrs. Maisel on Amazon. Who? This is a big show. It ended up winning Best Comedy Series. Be- beat out Glow. Beat out... Uh, this is who they were nominated against. They, uh, in addition to Glow, Atlanta. Let me just know if you've heard of these. Dude, shows, I have okay? become such a one-dimensional person since we started this this whole thing over the past year. I know nothing. Like this MCU review that we're watching on 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 Friday is like pretty much as far as I get. And I, I guess American Vandal that we'll we'll talk about eventually. American Vandal got a nomination for some award as well. Wow. So. They were uh, they were acknowledging some greatness. Um, I wanted your 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 feedback on this uh, this thing I wrote about today about Becky Lynch. So I heard from someone today because I was asking about kind of the Becky Lynch character, and we had talked about the fact you know that after the Brooklyn reaction, they kind of tailored things to more so um, not not so much having Becky going against the fans, but it was like her vendetta with Charlotte and. The directive at the time was like treating her like a stone cold character, knowing that, you know, she's going to be cheered and and booking her as such that calling this, calling Charlotte bitch like badass. Yeah, like giving her an edge that they yeah. knew was going to get cheered by people. Now, I'm I've been told that that is somewhat changed right now. Somebody has changed their mind. It was not told to me who has changed their mind on it, but it seems that th- they view internally Becky Lynch is is a heel. And I, I don't know if we're now going to see more of a, a concerted effort to try and uh, force her into that role. I was kind of enjoying the last few weeks where it was kind of this, you could understand her side, you could understand Charlotte's side, and I think it was working. So I, I think we'll kind of get the sense on Tuesday because they're doing a championship celebration segment with Becky that I would imagine by the end of that segment, we'll kind of get a sense of... How far are they going with this with Becky? And and do you think this has been working with Becky over the last few weeks, culminating with this title win on Sunday? I really think it, it's been working really well. I think pushing her as, as an anti-hero with an edge, but still kind of somebody who really believes in her, I think, own uh, uh, righteousness, uh, rather than, you know, somebody who in that first week of that heel turn came out and insulted the crowd, questioned the crowd's integrity. I really don't think she needed to do that. Um, I, I mean, I don't think it worked anyway. And I think if she continues in this championship celebration to continue to insult the crowd, I just, I don't, the crowd doesn't want to boo her. Um, if you're trying to force it, uh, it could eventually work because I think she's very talented. But I mean, why? 
why, I guess, um, when you can receive a bigger reaction when you're doing what you're doing right now. And that's just to give her kind of that great, like, still pushing her as sort of this anti-hero with, with an edge. Um, ultimately, I feel like the crowd will, will decide, you know, whether what, what, what they want her to be. Like, if you remember Daniel Bryan, they tried to push as a heel with the all that, you know. The Wyatt family. Yeah. Or just any of, like, the... I don't know, no, no, no stuff. Um, some of that ended up bleeding over. But, like, eventually the crowd, I think, turned him anyway. So the, it, I think it's more telling that, you know, in this situation, they want Charlotte to ultimately kind of be the one with the focus, it seems. It's it's at least, like, they want her to be the principal lead babyface character and Becky not that person. Um, and, again, you know, the crowd will determine how, how I think Charlotte is perceived, too. But... Uh, I guess this type of stuff is nothing new, isn't it? It's just it. It always seems like this company wants to do what they want in spite of how uh, the audience seems to react. Baby faces seem to be a real struggle for them at times. Sometimes the easiest ones to fall in their lap at times. Yeah, um, I don't know. I get the sense that like it, it, they would rather kind of, or at least the people in charge, uh, maybe even the only person in charge, would rather be creating a a taped drama with a laugh track that they can manipulate themselves rather than something that an audience has to react to in person. It was stunning to me because I'd never heard this story until uh, Dave Meltzer had mentioned it a few weeks ago that when CM Punk did the pipe bomb, it was designed to be a heel promo. Right. Yeah. And, and it's like, you just hear enough of these examples where, like, it just seems like there is a disconnect of what is going to land with your audience in a positive or negative light and how you could imagine that that was going to be – that there would be hatred for CM Punk after cutting that promo. Yeah, yeah. And there's a trend. There's a trend like throughout so many of these performers where it just seems so obvious on the surface of how that's going to be received and yet it's totally designed as like a 180. And it's it's fine. And you either learn from it or you get really stubborn and just force it through. In Punk's case, they recognized it right away, and the guy was a babyface. It's not like they really fought that. And I think that could happen here too. You know, it's not like I feel like with Roman, it's one thing where uh, they 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 are perhaps even more stubborn with Roman, but considering you know your world champion uh, on Raw is sort of like your biggest star in the whole show. I have I feel like they have a bit less to kind of you know. Um, uh, there's kind of less stakes involved when it's your SmackDown Women's Champion, but I mean I could be wrong. They have a lot planned for Charlotte as well. It seems. All right, so those are some of the news items going on. You can go to postwrestling.com for all the latest and more on those stories as well. That takes us into Raw Monday night from Dallas, Texas, at the American Airlines Center. Dallas getting a UFC pay per view last week, and and now Raw featuring the Big Dog defending his title. And the big dog came out to start the show. This was the slowest walk ever to the ring. And then we go into a video package recapping the Hell in a Cell match. We come back. Rain said last night did not go according to plan, but he is still the universal champion, which drew more boos than cheers. He knew Brock Lesnar would have his eventual rematch, but he didn't expect him to attack when he was down and out. So he challenges Brock to come out now and face him. Instead, Braun Strowman comes out. And he says, man, screw this crap. And he says, Lesnar is the only reason that Reigns still has the title. It's the second time Lesnar screwed him. 
and there won't be a third time. He's going to get his hands on Lesnar, and then he's coming for Roman. So out comes Baron Corbin. Everyone's chanting, you suck. He says he too is upset, and he's been on the phone all day with Stephanie trying to figure out a solution. And her solution? Send them to Saudi Arabia on Friday, November the 2nd for WWE Crown Jewel for the triple threat match. And that is our match that has been set up a month and a half away. That long, eh? Wow. No, November 2nd. Wow. Okay. A month this and a half. This is a long way away. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Well, I guess we might not see Brock until then. I don't think we will see Brock until then. Mm-hmm. Unless it's maybe they get one TV appearance out of him for to, to shoot some kind of an angle. But um, yeah, I guess they wanted to get the official announcement out there with a match. But it's it's a lot of shows they are promoting at once. See, this is a kind of interesting in that like... I don't think really the incentive is for the WWE to use Brock Lesnar in this situation to try to really gain anything themselves. This is Brock Lesnar being on that show because whoever's uh, paying them for the show wanting Brock Lesnar on this show. So it's not like they're they're using Brock to try to, you know, uh, I don't know, drive more interest to the company. It's just it seems like they're getting Brock to me to just satisfy these people paying for the show. They're like, wait a minute, you can't deliver us Yokozuna or the Ultimate Warrior? Who can you bring? Did you hear that story? Yes. Yes. So The guy dressed up as, like, Brock Lesnar, you mean? Like a substitute Brock Lesnar? Like they had a substitute Yokozuna? No, I was. they wanted the legitimate Yokozuna and Ultimate Warrior and not aware that they so were the guy, dead. They so, got so, a random, is, so they got a random, Brock- they got a random sumo guy, if you remember, in that rumble. Oh, that's right. They they did. They brought a was it Babatunde? Yeah, the the NXT guy. That's right. Yeah. Well, who who could play Brock if if they couldn't get the real Brock? I'm sure, they could find uh-huh. someone. Braun says, "I think that sucks." Baron sucks. I definitely think you suck. Looking at Reigns, this whole situation sucks. Everyone in this entire arena sucks, and he leaves. Hmm. Yeah. Um. You know, Again, this this guy is our top heel on Raw. How could you not be entertained by this man? Well, like him calling, saying everything sucks definitely got him cheered. It was like the type of, I think, fun Braun Strowman thing. You know, get these hands, Braun Strowman, that I think uh, initially turned him babyface in the first place. So we got a glimpse of that. And then, like, at the end of the segment, or at the end of that 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 whole bit, he turned on the crowd and said everybody here sucks and then kind of went back to being heel. But... This plus that segment afterwards with him next to uh, uh, Baron Corbin kind of like, again, tells me uh, either they are looking to turn Braun back or maybe he's just kind of in this kind of tweener place right now. No, this is supposed to be he's supposed to be hated for this way. Uh, yeah, it could be that, too. It could just be them be them being be them com- uh, being completely off mark. Who knows? Paul Heyman appeared and he brings out. The door that Lesnar tore off the cell. The production members bring it out. And he says that Lesnar kicked in the gate to hell, laid waste to a monster and a big dog, conquering hell in a cell. And then Heyman gives us a lesson in Brockonomics. Would you have taken this in in university? Brockonomics. I mean, I don't know if it would have required a, a whole semester. It's pretty simple, isn't it? He says the more you are worth and the more leverage you have, then the more money you get in the UFC and the more you're worth in the UFC, then you have more power to make more money in WWE 
And then the key line, nothing is more powerful than holding the universal championship. As opposed to the UFC heavyweight title? Is that what you mean? That, to me, was the underlying theme. Oh. But that is the, the ultimate goal of Brock Lesnar, the most powerful tool for this man. Well, of course it's he's... the universal title. It's not that little dinky title that Daniel Cormier is walking around with. Of it's course, this. Of course he's going to say that when he's on the television program of the, the people who own that title. Do you think Heyman's going to walk out at a UFC event to cut a promo? For sure. Yeah, I'll tell Hawani, probably. <laughs> he says that Brock Lesnar as champion led to multi-billion dollar TV deals, a record stock price, and then they ganged up to take the title away from him. Lesnar needs to be the champion on the flagship show because he is the crown jewel of WWE. Strowman then chased him to the back. Corbin was left in the ring with Reigns, stating he now has access to the injury report, and he knows that Reigns is hurt after Sunday's match because he he delivered a, a critical spear, putting Braun through a table that has just left him less than than perfect. Sorry, did they actually say that? Or no, just... they didn't stay. Well, I guess it was implied the, the F5 he took from Lesnar was just so devastating. Yeah, I mean, I didn't really get that at all. Like, in certain... By the time we got to the match, I didn't look at Roman as any type of more critically injured person. But okay. Roman was Roman was booked on this show as though he was the one that fell off the yeah. side of the cage. Mm-hmm. Uh, he calls him a little puppy and says, you're going to defend the title tonight against me. And I just, oh, my neck went back. I looked up. I was like, man, we're going to have to wait two and a half hours to see Baron Corbin against Roman Reigns. There was a lot of Baron Corbin on the show. Um, yes. I don't know how long this kind of uh, temporary uh, GM thing is going to last. I don't know what Kurt Angle's doing. Um, uh, I'm but- sure Kurt's going to be on that Saudi Arabia show. I think everybody's sure. going to be on that Saudi Arabia. Uh, well, Every man is going to be on that Saudi Arabia show. Yeah. Well, I don't think Kurt Angle could- Not even every man. I can't even say that. No, not every man. But, I mean, uh, I'm I'm just... Corbin is... Such a bad actor. Like, so bad that he really should not be acting this much. He has the biggest role on Raw. He has the most lines, the most screen time, it feels like, of anybody on Raw. And I think that's just way too much for a guy that is just such a bad actor. Is there anyone on the Raw roster that you would prefer, that, that you think would be really good in that in the same kind of role that Baron Corbin occupies? Well, let me, as- just, I mean, let me say it's not an easy role. It's a, it's no, a no, it's not. Role. So, you know, but I mean, I even preferred Kurt Angle. I, I, um, you have to kind of, you're putting me on the spot here because it's a very actually tough choice. Um, Drake Maverick. You know who would be fantastic at it as the heel that is the heel active wrestler as the acting general manager? I think it's an easy one. Kevin Owens. Yeah, I mean, sure. Yeah, I, as a performer, of course, absolutely, I would prefer him. But, I mean, I also like the fact that he's just a wrestler, too. But if I had to pick among, among the two, Owens, 100%. They ran a SmackDown promo. On Tuesday night, we've got Shinsuke Nakamura versus Rusev for the United States title. They announced AJ Styles against Andrade Cien Almas in AJ's first match on SmackDown in two months. Did you have any clue that you haven't seen AJ wrestle on SmackDown in two months? Uh, did he say singles match? Yeah, they said singles, singles match. match. Yeah. Um, not really. I, I, 
I mean, I guess I think having Daniel Bryan around kind of maybe uh, makes makes it less of a uh, a requirement for him to to wrestle every single week. Yeah, it even makes uh, gives Joe some fuel. It's like, dude, you don't even wrestle here. You just come every week when you could be home with your family. Yeah, I guess he does Nail do in the a dark match promo. He? Uh, most weeks, yeah. Uh, there's also going to be the championship coronation we mentioned for Becky Lynch and a surprise guest on Miz TV. Hmm. Is what? it going to be Brian and Bree's daughter? Oh, that'd be tough. Or maybe uh, she doesn't even speak. No, as far as I know, maybe it'll be Monroe Sky. That okay, sure. Her official debut on SmackDown. First match of the night was Drew McIntyre against Dean Ambrose. Ambrose drop kicked the left knee, wrapped it around the post, and then McIntyre tossed him into the barricade while he's favoring his knee. He sold the knee throughout the match. McIntyre did his tree of woe sit up and then suplexed Ambrose off. Again, he continues to clutch the knee. Dean Ambrose playing to this Dallas crowd applies a Texas cloverleaf, but then gets sent to the floor. Uh, Ambrose climbs to the top, comes off the ring post, and unlike last week, did not have success with the axe handle. And he came in at the count of nine, right into a Claymore kick, and Drew McIntyre pinned him clean. Mm-hmm. I thought this was a really intense, pretty hard-hitting uh, match. I enjoyed it, you know? The booking, to me, suggests that they are continuing to use, uh, treat McIntyre as a, as a priority. He was the one who looked the strongest in their uh, win uh, last night. And here he gets the win over a returning Dean Ambrose. So uh, it feels like they have certainly intentions of eventually transitioning him into the title picture. Uh, Dean, maybe not as close to it, um, judging by this. And no, it was interesting that they were going to have one Shield member lose tonight. He was the one chosen. And he and as well, Drew, the one that gets the win. He's, that- he, he's certainly being firmly slotted into the number three position amongst that team, um, which, you know, if you're going to eventually turn him, I don't think it's it's such a, a negative, you know, to have him kind of be the one suffering now and then really turning him up afterwards when, when he does turn eventually. We got a promo for Total Divas with the tagline, all in for the Divas. Yeah, they, um, yeah, they made some good use of that. McIntyre's backstage. He meets Dolph Ziggler, who's in pain from his big fall on the off the cell. Corbin congratulates him and says that the Shield members aren't looking so good tonight. He's going to beat up Roman Reigns tonight, and he asks if Dolph is going to invoke his rematch clause against Seth. Ziggler just says, no, I fell. Corbin says, I heard that Rollins isn't even here tonight, and if you invoke your rematch and Rollins isn't here, then he'll be stripped of the title. I'm convinced that they followed the whole Nico Montano drama here. Hmm. If, if the person can't show up, then they get stripped of the title. Um, you think that was part of the plan? You think that uh, was part of their plan for, to, for the UFC to strip her? Maybe they thought that Nico Montano would show up at the last minute. Uh, and even though she was uh, struggling, she would make weight at the final minute and then successfully retain her title like Seth Rollins did. But that yeah, didn't work out no, exactly. Not quite as dramatic. And it happened at this. It was supposed. To, the fight was supposed to take place in this arena. Oh, okay. Yeah. So Ziggler agrees to this. He's like, "This is a great idea. Sure, I'll invoke my rematch clause." And Baron turns to this PA and just says, "Man, I'm good at my job." And this was his funniest line on the show. Hmm. Not as funny the way. 
The Bellas were with Natalia in the locker room. Ronda Rousey walks in with this giant smile. The Bellas are hugging her. High fives. Nikki tells Ronda, we learned so much from you last night. And Ronda asks, how do open challenges work? And Nikki goes to explain how she did it when she was Divas champion. But Natalia cuts her off, telling her, do you want to do that tonight? And then Natalia gives the background on how the guys do it. The guys just go out and, and just issue a challenge. Hence, open challenge. It's pretty self-explanatory, Ronda. And Natalia warns her, though, anyone can answer the challenge. What I wanted to know, forget how you issue an open challenge. I want to know, how did someone answer the open challenge backstage? Like, is everybody tipped off that the open challenge is next and they have to strategically plant themselves while also having their music ready? Is it... Like, luck of the draw, does usually only one person show up at Gorilla and is ready to come out? How does that work? Well, that's a very interesting question. Um, I I don't know. My assumption is that uh, whoever happens to be watching the show and wants to answer it can go out and answer it. Uh, but maybe not everybody watches the show when they're back there. So, Rhonda, learning the ropes here on how to set up an open challenge is sent on her way. I mean, this was, I thought, a, a pretty interesting segment. First of all, I mean, at times, really, it was painfully, awkwardly acted out um, by the four, four uh, uh, participants here. But that's whatever. Um, the heel babyface dynamics I find really interesting, especially when it, in regards to Nikki Bella, who uh, we know, I think, the rumors are that uh, she will have a match with Ronda at Evolution. So they have to kind of build their way towards that. And seeing how they're building towards it is like, is really fascinating because, first of all, they have to team the Bellas up with Ronda for the Super Show. Um, but then, like, I get the sense that they are trying to subtly um, put in some some seeds for a turn. It's just, like, very unique and kind of weird because Bree's a total babyface, uh, especially on SmackDown, and I assume on Raw as well. Nikki, I think, is supposed to be, but I'm really unclear. Like, there was a moment here in this segment where she is about to tell Rhonda how she used to do open challenges. And I'm not exactly sure how I'm supposed to feel about that. Are they trying to make me feel like, who is Nikki Bella to like tell Rhonda Rousey anything what to do? Or am I, was I supposed to feel sympathetic for her when, when Natalia cut her off? Or, or am I even just looking too deep into any of that? I, I think that they're doing it like in a very subtle way, but you know... You know where they're going with it, which I think has helped this. I think Nikki is very good in these segments. Um, Brie doesn't strike me as much, but I don't even know if they're going to turn Brie. I don't think they are. Um, I think Nikki is the one you want to turn uh, they, at they some might, point. But they might, might not even turn Nikki because, like, Nikki, I think, is in another one of those kind of PR positions, much like, you know, your Nia Jax's or Charlotte's or, or Ronda's or Roman Reigns that they would want to protect in order for her to do all that public stuff. Yeah, I think that stuff is always overblown. I think we're at a point where, like, Stephanie McMahon is front and center at all these things. I, I don't think that people really have much of a hang-up if you're playing they, a heel on the, television. Why do they care so much about Roman Reigns and Charlotte? Um, Yeah, uh, to a degree. But I, I don't think that that would be, to me, um, like, I, I really don't think in 2018 that if you were to turn Roman Reigns, he can't still do... Make a wish stuff. Of course. I don't know. Yeah, I completely agree with you. But I, I think they overthink that stuff a lot. Um, yeah. But anyway, uh, yeah. So that was the segment. 
We had Bobby Roode and Chad Gable doing an insert promo. Gable says he feels like a new man teaming with Bobby Roode, and he's feeling glorious after he gets the approval from Bobby Roode to steal his catchphrase. So Chad Gable took on Victor. Forget AJ's first singles match in two months. How many months has it been since Victor had a singles match on Raw? This might have been the first ever. I wasn't keeping count. Nor was I. Victor was yanking on the hair. There was a running uppercut delivered to Gable after Connor tried to interfere. Gable then caught him with the Suzuki armbar and then uh, suplexed him all over the place, hit a cross body, sending him to the floor, and then a cannonball missile drop kick. Connor gets sent off the apron, and Chad Gable wins with the chaos theory in four minutes, nine seconds. But then afterwards, Connor gets in, lays out both Gable and Rude, and then Connor was leaving on his own. Hmm. Maybe Victor was just like, I don't know. Maybe he left already. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe we're we're getting a... They're not splitting up. No way. No, I I hope not. The dissension of the ascension. We're just not ready for it. Yes. Uh, I thought Gable was really awesome here. He was on a great run, uh, wrestling very fast, lots of great suplexes, like a really good five-minute or less match on TV. But I found the crowd reaction for him really quite low. I think mainly just due to the character and, and the whole Bobby Roode thing not being that over yet. Uh, I know they're just still in the building blocks of it. Uh, it's nice to see at least Chad Gable on TV. Um, I I wonder if they'll get there. I mean, I wonder where this kind of whole mm, relationship is leading. But I thought at least in ring, he's always, you know, got it. We could have some great matches among the the managers in on Raw if that's where Chad Gable ends up being. Between Chad Gable, Leo Rush, and Drake Maverick, great manager's division we could have. Maybe that's Gable's destination. In fact, you can watch it um, Wednesdays at 7 o'clock now. <laughs> 205 Live Managers. Yeah. Kayla was backstage, and there's Seth Rollins limping into the building. She informs him that Ziggler's invoking his rematch clause tonight, and if he can't compete, he's stripped of the title. And he says, someone needs to remind Corbin, this is still Monday Night Rollins. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what? Do you think this that that wouldn't a... be your response way if you were told something like that? Yeah, my first response. Someone to... needs to know that I'm still the subject of a pun regarding uh, where I work on Mondays. My first comeback in any uh, interview when I'm questioned about something is to go to my latest t-shirt catchphrase. Yes. <laughs> Oh, boy. <laughs> the Undertaker comes out. Oh, I am so glad this character was not conceived over the last 10 years. Could you imagine this guy doing heavily scripted promos and having to do all the WWE speak in his promos? Hmm. Yeah. No, it'd be tough. But he uh, does kind of have I'm to do Mark. It. I play the role of The Undertaker, and I want to alert everyone... To hashtag make a difference. Oh, my God. The Undertaker says that delusion is the final recourse for the damned. No man can spin a web of lies like a man with a broken soul. And says he's never seen anyone with more of a broken soul than Triple H. It's like, really? You've been in this company this long? This is the most broken man you have seen. This is the most unstable individual you've run into. Triple H. This guy seems like one of the most together people that is going. That's been in this industry forever. Yeah. 
there, there's a lot of souls that have probably been, you know, destroyed working with this company. I don't know if Hunter's one of them. Taker says that today Hunter plays more of a corporate game and his battlefield is the boardroom. This is the Undertaker. His battlefield is the boardroom. His life is so full of lies to the point he cannot decipher truth. And he sees the fear in his friend's eyes as his own demise. And he's, the Undertaker says he puts no stock into what any man thinks, only what he knows. And the result, when he faces Triple H for the last time, will be the same result as the first time they met. It will be game over. And while Hunter is going to enlist his best friend, Shawn Michaels, he knows that Shawn Michaels isn't getting on a plane to sit in the crowd. He's getting in a plane for a payday to be in the corner of Triple H. So he will balance things by enlisting his mayoral elected brother, Kane, to be in his corner. So citizens of Knox County, your mayor <laughs> is taking a minimum one day. He's going to miss Friday, probably multiple days to go fly to Australia to stand in his fake brother's corner to offset Shawn Michaels. That's and he right. says Hunter will rest in peace. Oh, don't think those the 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 the, the citizens of Knox County um, didn't count for this guy to continue to wrestle. I feel like that's why they chose him to, to as mayor. Oh, look, our mayor's on TV. Our mayor's in the Undertaker's corner. How cool is that? I think uh, clearly. I don't know if he'll. Ups- I don't think he'll upset anybody. Um, so, but here we got the announcements of the cornermen, or at least the the managers that are going to be next to Triple H and Taker. Um, you know, in very kind of Undertaker, over-the-top promo delivery fashion. Um, It wouldn't have made sense if he didn't do this this way, though, you know? Like, I feel like it's... Sometimes I take a step back for a segment like this and think, what is a brand-new fan going to think if they're tuning in this right now, to this right now? And then all of a sudden, this, like, man in a robe comes out with feet to funeral music and dry ice and... Like, this whole arena is just losing their shit over it. Like, what's going on? Why are we why are we pretending this guy's a, actually a, a, a demon? Uh, but The Undertaker has kind of earned that level of, like, I don't know, suspension of disbelief. So it wouldn't feel right if he didn't talk this way. I wanted The Undertaker to throw to the video, and there's Kane, Glenn Jacobs, in his office, delivering a statement that he will back his brother from the mayoral office. Uh, yeah, sure. I guess he's got to come back. He's got to come back as Kane as well. Can't be a oh, yeah. corporate Kane. Yeah. So that should be interesting. Um, yeah, no, no Triple H on this show. No really big involvement of Shawn Michaels, but pretty clear that it's not going to be a referee deal with Shawn Michaels. They'll be in opposite corners, and I guess most people are expecting that coming out of this Australia show is you're going to be setting up something for Shawn Michaels, and it seems like they have. Many, many ideas for Shawn Michaels. We'll see what he does. Mm. Uh, They showed an event from the Children's Hospital in Dallas from earlier in the day. And then Bailey and Sasha Banks brought out a bunch of the kids onto the stage. We went to a commercial, came back, and joined in progress is Bailey and Dana Brooke. Dana Brooke, without the services of Titus Worldwide, she has broken away from them. Dana uh, was dropping knees onto the ribs of 
of uh, Bailey, applied a body scissors, and then Bailey made her comeback with a running knee to the head, followed by the Bailey to belly to pin Dana in two minutes and 50 seconds. To me, this kind of felt like a bit of a showcase for Dana, who Renee, it seemed, was really trying to put over as, as a new Dana Brooke, who, who is no longer held back by Titus Worldwide. And Graves was not. Mm, yeah, no, I guess he wasn't, eh, he wasn't as into it, but... Uh, despite all that, he, she still lost. So I think, you know, Dana is just seemingly going to be at this level of the card right now. I don't know if that breakup was supposed to occur at this time. And I don't know why it happened at this time. If they weren't going to push Dana, like it felt like she had this thing going on with Apollo that they were teasing, uh, at least some type of storyline to really kind of like maybe seemingly elevate her. But coming out of this, I got no sense that she is any type of player in this division. Yeah, and I don't know what happens with Apollo Cruz after this. I don't know either. Maybe, um, yeah, I, I, who knows? Like uh, in hindsight, he, he's been a pretty disastrous call-up. I think so, yeah. I, I mean, I guess at some point, like, do you have to kind of pin the blame on him for not delivering? having Because it's not like he hasn't had TV time. You know. Yeah, I I think that I, I don't think that's that's incorrect. I I think that you know you you can only look so much at oh what where's you don't have anything for this guy. But at the same time, you need to be able to display something that you know maybe maybe your the 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 creative staff is not going to have something for everybody. You've got to kind of open eyes that hey you've. I've been sitting here all this time and and open their eyes to what they have and Cruz you know. Great performer, but he doesn't get time on these shows to really get over in the ring. So it's got to be other ways that you find yourself getting over. And, you know, you you were following some of those WWE.com bits they did with the press conferences and stuff like that. And as silly as those things are, that's the kind of stuff that if it clicks, hopefully the right person sees it and they run with it. But I don't know. The Titus Worldwide stuff, it's, it's never worked. Mm-hmm. And I, I think with Apollo Crews, it's just been... It's been a really tough fit for him, and he's been on this roster two and a half years. Yeah. What do you see for uh, Bailey and Sasha? I'll be honest. When Bailey's music played, I was like, I have totally forgotten about these two. Completely forgotten about them, that they were even on Raw. They weren't on SummerSlam. They weren't on Hell in a Cell. Um, I mean, that feud is just what it was, and then they've been teaming together for a few weeks or a few months, it seems, right now. Do you think that we see some type of potential tag team title match. I guess um, it gives them something. If they do eventually introduce those tag titles, that's something they can do. But in the meantime, like they just feel that they've really driven those two into the ground. Like they're, they're nowhere involved with any of the pushed acts on raw. They're just kind of here doing, you know, TV matches with Dana Brooke I think they've done just just a really terrible job with with both of them to get them to this point. I think make, doing something like making them the inaugural champions or make at least giving them a run for like the the titles will will kind of um, help people forget that these two were involved in such a terrible feud. Because I do still feel like that's the ultimate destination is to do your Bailey versus Sasha eventually, maybe a year later, I guess. Mm-hmm. But. In order to do that, you kind of have to really distance the the two of them from, or or the audience from from that memory. Um, uh, Anyway, I mean, by the time when they get to it, will it still work? I don't know. But, yeah, it's 
it feels like they still have to pay that off, you know, like a match a year in the making. Yeah, I just don't know how you, you really have your work cut out for you to get people back to that level of interest that existed at one time that I think has dissipated so significantly because of the teases of the feud. And I, I think people just got tired of it after a while. And it was like, sure, do do the tag team deal. And they just they feel like two characters that are just there's very little to them at this point. Um, they're not featured. You didn't even notice that they've kind of been off TV recently. The AOP are backstage getting ready for their match. Razor just lifted this producer up in the air. This poor guy had to be calmed down by Drake Maverick. Uh, they destroyed Gregory James and Barrett Brown. Uh, there was a Vader bomb. Razor just screamed and then ran him into the corner off his shoulders. Super collider for the win in a minute, three seconds. Continuing to establish these two, and I think continuing to establish Drake Maverick as a manager for them as well. Although I think I've been a little disappointed because I, I at least wanted a Drake Maverick promo tonight. I kind of expected it last week. We didn't get it. Um, it feels like now he's just kind of there to to just show Look off. small next to them. Exactly. You know, when I feel like his real value is is his ability to talk. And I think at the very least, a promo, a short promo a week from him would really kind of help um, make that whole unit a bit more memorable. Ziggler is upset with Baron Corbin because Seth ended up showing up. He's giving Dolph a pep talk and Seth walks in. He's not backing out and he's ready for a fight with Dolph Ziggler. So Ziggler's plan. Well, like what an idiot. Like you totally screwed this one up. Yeah, it was Baron. Can you can you back out of a rematch? Like, can you uninvoke your rematch clause? Can you revoke well, your then, rematch clause? Well, then you forfeit, don't you? But is the match beneficial? Like, can I say it's like Money in the Bank, where I can say I'm cashing it in, but until the match begins, have I really cashed anything in yet? Can I withhold this for another week, or is it too late? Your verbal is your commitment. I'm guessing it's too late in this instance, at least. The answer is whatever's convenient for them. That is always the answer. Seth and Dolph Ziggler, Intercontinental title. I'll say this. I I like the fact that they worked their injuries into this match. And it wasn't like we just forgot about these injuries. Like they were constantly selling them. Uh, Rollins even teased a suicide dive but then didn't do it. So he chased after Dolph on the floor. Went through a commercial. Ziggler has a sleeper applied. Rollins gets out, hits his ripcord knee for a near fall. And then Rollins... um, he, he did heal himself in this. He hit a superplex, which got a big response into a Falcon Arrow. They said and, uh, specifically, adrenaline is a hell of a <laughs> thing. Oh, it was ridiculous for yeah. the Reigns match, where Graves had no explanation for this guy doing anything. Uh, the Falcon Arrow gets countered with a roll-up. Rollins kicks out. He hits the stomp. He's down, turns over, covers Ziggler for the win. Retains very, the title. Very quick pace to this match. I thought it was, again, really fantastic, much like the uh, the, the Ambrose match, um, especially for the duration that I think this one lasted. The crowd was really hot for this for the entire thing. And, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, I feel like now is a good time to kind of cool off on, like, at least the singles matches between Rollins and Ziggler. Like, let's end off on a high here. I feel like I've seen these two a lot together over the summer. And most of it has been good, but... Man, uh, it feels like it's kind of this this year's Kevin Owens, uh, AJ Styles. I think we're in 
you know, at least through Australia, they're going to be mixing and matching all these different members. Yeah. Um, that I, I think we're in store for a bunch of these combinations for a while. Uh, Reigns is watching in the back, nodding in approval. Charlie interviewed him and brings up that it wasn't Corbin who had to wrestle last night. You did and asked him about being the underdog. And Reigns, this was unbelievable. His response is, I'm not the underdog tonight. If I was facing Brock or Braun, yeah. But Baron, no, I'm I'm not the underdog. I'm just the big dog. Yeah, this was pretty awful. You know, what a- like the line was was obviously corny as hell. But the other thing is, it's just like way to sell the main event, right? Yeah, like here it is. Like you're supposed to be fighting injured from underneath and the guy's like laughing off this match like this is nothing mm-hmm. it's like wow you amazingly brought my interest in a baron corbin match lower i understand you know your lead baby face isn't supposed to cower in fear but at least i feel like he should talk about maybe this being a bit of a challenge or treating this like it's a bit of a challenge compare um, this to seth yeah. who was injured mm-hmm. but he said i'm still gonna go out and fight you and this guy he like, said, I, I, he just, I just thought said, this was a terrible he, interview. He actually said, uh, I'm going to remind him that this is still Monday Night Rollins. So, you know, both of them, I think, went to their T-shirt catchphrases. Um, I, I guess the intention behind Rollins' promo might, might, might have come across a bit better. I'm not the underdog. I'm just the big dog. Yeah. It is Hispanic Heritage Month. So we heard from several performers, uh, Brie Bella. Andrade Cien Almas, Selena Vega, Sasha Banks, and Titus O'Neil. Like talking uh, about um, Hispanic people that they yes. admire. Yeah, Brie talked about her father. Andrade talked about his family. Zelina Vega talked about Rey Mysterio. Sasha talked about Eddie Guerrero. And then Titus described uh, Roberto Clemente and yeah. following in his, uh, his charitable efforts. I thought it was a cool segment. You know? Yeah. Um, I found it a little unusual that they got the voiceover guy at the end of this thing. Um, they found a man with a Hispanic accent to to even read the English at the end, and uh, I don't know. <laughs> to me, I don't know if they needed to go quite that far. Like we got a VO here for this Hispanic Heritage Month promo. Uh, rather than hand it to our uh, typical voiceover guy, let's find a guy with a Hispanic accent to read this English. Yeah, maybe they maybe they thought that. Um... I, I don't know. I don't know what, what the thinking was to to make sure. Maybe they just wanted it like as a Chinese authentic new, as possible. Like a Chinese New Year promo from this team? I don't know if I'd I'd want to hear the result of that. Well, I was gonna say that if you if you were to do it like based on, you know, other other months that they do awareness for or, or acknowledgments, <laughs> like, I mean that would be yeah. pretty offensive. Yeah, like uh uh, uh Black History Month. Yeah. <laughs> we So Anyway, Hispanic Heritage Month. That was uh, that I was. I just found that really a uh, really interesting uh, bit of production. I found this next segment a little interesting. Ronda Rousey came out. This was the uh, the end of the second hour. She got big reception. She congratulated Alexa Bliss, saying it was the best performance she had seen from Alexa, and didn't expect her to fight her to that level and push her to her limits. Alexa showed her that she was more of a champion than she ever thought she could be. She says, "I want to be a great champion." I want to be like Brett the Hitman Hart. I want to be like Stone Cold Steve Austin. I want to be like Ric Flair. And I'm going to issue an open challenge. So if any of the women in the locker room have the gumption, the gumption, is that to the, come out and face me. Is that the improper use of that 
word? I don't know what the proper use is because I don't know how many people Ronda Rousey's age would ever use the word gumption. <laughs> well, uh, it depends who's writing her words, is, uh, doesn't it? God damn it. She can't be a, any kind of a dog, but you know what she's got? Gumption. <laughs> what does gumption even mean? Shrewd or spirited initiative and resourcefulness. I wish she just said that. <laughs> so if any of the women in the back have some spirited initiatives that they want to take. Yeah. Shrewd or spirited initiative and resourcefulness. Yes. Um, but the name that, she mentioned. That's exactly the, the kind of traits you want in your well, challenge. Well, the names she mentioned in particular, Brett, Austin, and Fleur, have any of those people ever held an open challenge? Not, not in this, this sense, where you come out into the ring and just say, hey, anybody. Come out. But I get I get the idea. She wants to have a number of wins under her belt. So, uh, you know, uh, Ronda came out here. And I think, like, she always comes out to these great reactions. And she always takes a second to really kind of just soak it in with that, like, very, like, that million-dollar smile, you know, uh, that I think just comes very natural for her. It really kind of came across in MMA. And, and I think even in pro wrestling, it translates perfectly well. She really does feel like a genuine baby face in those moments. Mm-hmm. Natalia's music plays and Rousey's got a smile on her face and, oh great my friend's going to try and take the title away from me I thought that was a gr- good tease for the future yes I, I like the fact that they they put that in the back of your mind that mm-hmm. even well let's explain the segment first so right. Natalia's music is playing but she doesn't come out and it stops Rousey's looking concerned and the riot squad drag out Natalia Ruby explains that it's Rhonda's fault that they did what they had to do. And then, this is what Ruby said. We don't dislike you, but we don't like you. Yeah, those are kind of the same thing, aren't they? They're actually the opposite. We don't? Of one another. Oh, you're right. We dislike you. Yes. We, dis- we don't, dislike, we don't you, dislike you, but we don't like you. Right, yeah. I was just puzzled what this meant. As Ruby was talking in riddles here. And Ruby said she's going to answer the challenge. But so they drag out Natalia. And I kind of like that here in the background. It was was Natalia intending to come out and challenge her friend. And that's kind of that that's your takeaway for something down the road. Even if she wasn't, I think um, the the idea that um, you could picture the two of them, you know, in a match together, I thought it was was a nice tease, probably because they're pretty probably pretty far out from it. Yeah, we now have to go through the stretch where all of Rhonda's friends turn on her, starting with the Bellas. Yeah. And then Natalia. Rousey nails Ruby off the apron. She's fighting off Logan and Morgan, but she's still got her injured ribs. She's delivering punches. Logan is able to knee her in the ribs. She throws Logan, but she's in immense pain. Ruby spears her, and it's a three on one attack. The Bella twins run down for the save. And they all fight them off. There is the uh, the standing Katagaruma to Ruby, still with no goddamn name. This is like her main move she does. Mm-hmm. And they have no name for it. They I clear think, the I ring. Think, I don't know if uh, that name is that easy to say, I guess. Well, the, I mean, come up with a WWE name. Yeah. Like, there's the uh, the Ronda Rouser. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the Ronda Romp. <laughs> the uh, the the gumptionator. Oh, there you go. 
They clear the ring, and then they plug the Super Showdown six-woman tag for October the 6th. That was our Ronda segment. No match. No, no match. Um, You know, I I thought the segment was pretty well done as far as the intensity of, of, I think, those beatdowns went. Um, Ronda taking on all three members of the Riot Squad seemed to really get this crowd. Uh, So much so that even when the Bellas came out, the crowd reacted really big to that as well. So um, it was kind of interesting how they announced this match because they just kind of talked about it because they, they they never announced it on tv prior to this did they i don't think on tv so but on, the, on the website yeah but then like michael cole would was like talking about this as if we had all known about it already you know like they never like really presented to you the match graphic or they never had somebody come out and challenge anybody for it it's just the nature i get of i guess this australia show where the entire card was already announced but not on tv so now the week after or the day after hell in a cell they're just treating like treating it like everybody already knew about it. Then we have Baron Corbin in his latest segment on the show. He's getting ready backstage. Strowman walks up to him. He says he hopes Corbin wins because he sucks. And I know I can kill you. And he left. A total babyface segment. <laughs> How right? can you not enjoy this guy? Yeah. I exactly. know I can kill you. Yeah. But like this is I, I thought threatening death on people was one of those things they tried to not do in promos. I thought that Paul Heyman had joked about that, that kill was a word they, one of the no, no words. I, I could be wrong though. I guess, I guess, uh, with, I don't know. With Braun Strowman, it's, it's more comical than, uh, threatening. It's honestly comical in any wrestling setting. If you threaten to murder somebody. Sure. Then this was new. We got like a guitar riff from Elias and that just sent us to commercial with the up next graphic. Yeah, we just heard the chord, the opening chord, and then right to commercial. That's just, I mean, his calling card at this point. Yeah, that was kind of neat. Yeah. We come back. He's in the ring. He knows how bad this show can be before he shows up. Boy, you're right sometimes. He's tired of being interrupted, and it's because of jealousy, because everyone sees him as being special. He calls Bobby Lashley a constant disappointment, and he never wins when it matters. Just like the Dallas Cowboys. And man, this crowd. These cities, they are like so tribal when it comes to their sports teams, especially football. Yeah. Like it's just like, man, that's the third rail. Yeah, honestly. It's like it's the closest thing I think. Well, I guess war is the closest thing we have to war. But um, I guess uh, on a localized scale, I mean, it's kind of the closest thing we have to that. I don't know if our city is like that. Like I oh, even yes. like. Are you kidding me? Absolutely. Ah. Anytime they come here and insult the Leafs, or even if they insult the Raptors, I think you hear pretty much a very similar reaction. I guess. Um, Leo Rush comes out, and he's tired of Elias playing the same tired diss track. Elias just cuts him off and says, whose kid is this? (laughs) These two were phenomenal together. I thought they played off each other so well. Leo accepts... The fact that Elias probably doesn't know who he is. And he cuts a promo on being the man of the hour. Elias is just like, no, no, honestly, security. Let's take this guy to the lost and found so his parents can find him. And then Leo introduces Bobby Lashley. I really enjoyed this a lot. This was great, this back and forth, yes. I'm I'm really enjoying Elias not wrestling every week and just doing segments with people. Like, well, he's the person that, you know, in another... When they were doing all those celebrity uh, guest hosts, 
that would have been Elias's role every week would have been interacting with the guest host. And that seems to be what they do with Elias now is like if they have a some special person on the show, you get Elias. Like they're promoting Starcade, uh the house show deal in November. They're going to do a concert with Elias and Ric Flair. Do you know how great that could be? How uh what a train wreck that could be. It could be too, but yeah. man, I would I hope someone shoots that and uploads it. Yeah. For sure. No, he's great. He's uh he's incredibly I think uh controlling or like he's very controlled in these in these situations and incredibly comfortable in front of this audience. So uh, I think you can trust him, especially as like that type of you know heel who insults the the audience to uh, do a cele- celebrity segment like that. If I had told you in 2015, these two NXT performers are going to get called up. One of them is going to be a huge star on Raw. The other will be just scratching for television time. Which one is it going to be, Bailey or Elias? Um. Sasha Banks or Elias? Yeah, yeah, I, no, absolutely. It's, uh, it's crazy. It, t- it kind of shows you how different the two shows are, and success in NXT doesn't necessarily guarantee success on the main roster, and vice versa. If you're not success- su- successful in NXT, it doesn't mean that you won't turn into the next Elias. Thankfully, we had Golden Corral to bring us this match, where you can have all you can eat wings and rib fest is going on. What a meal. Oh, wow. We don't have all those. you can eat wings with ribs. Yeah, we don't have those here. Yeah, that seems like Brock's diet a number of years ago. Leo Rush was on commentary. Did he uh did he leave an impression on you on commentary? Well, I thought like him coming out here, I thought the dude sounded great, man. I haven't really heard much of him on the mic, so I a lot of confidence. Yes. This character, I mean, I feel like has such a unique delivery and he's so full, full of personality and he too is a performer who's incredibly smooth. So, I look forward to seeing a lot more of him on commentary. I mean, it felt like a little bit kind of disjointed, but clearly like he was only there for a bit in order to deliver that key line. It was great because Renee did this interview today with uh with Richard Deitch on the Sports Media podcast and she was talking about the fact that a lot of these matches she likes to go in without knowing necessarily what the outcome is in the match, where they're going, and she can just improvise and ask questions and just go with things. And that's what she seemed to default here because she just started interviewing Leo and said, how did you meet Bobby Lashley? And it was like the wheels were turning in Leo Rush's head and he said, well, we, uh, smoothies. We met for smoothies. We both like smoothies. Yeah. Well, obviously improvised, I would hope, because I don't know what the point of any of that was. Yeah, we met up for smoothies. Um, there was a leapfrog into a power slam by Lashley. Then he comes off the top and gets met with a flying knee. Leo Rush is talking about Kevin Owens and calls him a coward. And a minute later, Kevin Owens' music plays, and he comes out and he goes after Leo Rush. And Rush leaps off the announcer's desk over top Owens, who then lifts the office chair, the biggest weapon on Raw, and he throws it at Leo Rush, who avoids it. Then Elias is on the ramp, runs at Leo, who leapfrogs over him. Then he does a moonsault off the apron. This was just incredible to watch. So clearly, like, Leo Rush isn't just going to be some type of manager. He is going to be uh, potentially a tag team partner, I felt. That's how it came across here in this segment. This segment was, like, really kind of uh, uh, 
a little bit baffling to me uh, as far as like how I was supposed to feel about it. I feel like as entertaining as the talking was, I mean, Rush's delivery and character really came across as cocky, heelish. Meanwhile, you have uh, Elias like entertain this Texas crowd with his guitar and then making them laugh with those great one-liners about Rush's size. But at the end of this, I mean, if I'm to believe that Kevin Owens is still a heel and Bobby Lashley is still a babyface, I was was I supposed to have cheered for Leo Rush at the end of this? You know, I'm not sure. I felt like that dynamic was all kind of messy and the crowd reaction at the close of the segment to me felt a bit flat. Um I think they got into Leo's like high flying stuff, just like this like cat and mouse game they were playing with like Owens and Elias just chasing after him and stuff. Um they compared Leo Rush to someone off American Ninja Warrior. And I think that's the money with Lashley and Leo Rush, just doing physical things. Certainly, yeah. You throw in uh, that the uh, Katie uh Captain the the Oh yeah, Casey Catanzaro. Casey Catanzaro. What did you think of that match? You catch it? Yeah, I did watch it. I mean, yeah. she's the potential is definitely there. Yeah. Um, you know, she's very very green, but mm-hmm. I, I think certainly it'll be really interesting to see where she she's at in a year. Yeah, they could have a whole stable of American Ninja Warriors. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought that Reina Gonzalez was like a really good kind of base for her mm-hmm. as well because you can definitely see how inexperienced she is but just unbelievably athletic um owens attempted an apron bomb and leo was saved by lashley and any military press rush onto owens and elias and then lifted him up onto his shoulders and nearly dropped leo rush on his head and then picked them back up thankfully bobby lashley is very strong alexa bliss cut a promo along with alicia fox and mickey james calling themselves future hall of famers of the three, who do you see? Uh, going into the WWE Hall of Fame? Yeah. Oh, I could certainly see uh, Bliss and Mickey. Alicia mm. Fox? I don't know. That one maybe. might be a bit tougher. Yeah. Maybe. Even Mickey. I, mean, they... Mickey, I, I would say maybe just kind of at the border, but I could see. I mean, Molly Holly and, you know, uh, Ivory are there. Anyone can really get in. Yeah. Um. Bliss says she wants to take a step back and help out her besties. So she's going to be in their corner tonight as they take on Ember Moon and they challenge Ember to find a partner tonight and they make fun of Moon because she has no friends. Sorry, I guess Molly Holly isn't in because she, in- she-, she inducted. Someone. Oh, yeah. She inducted Beth Phoenix, right? Right. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Well, she'll probably be in at some point. Way So yeah, no one's going to call you on that one. Then they aired a Golden Corral spot focused on Trish Stratus, which does make sense with her match coming up. And do you realize that today, September 17th, was the date of Trish's farewell match with Lita at the Air Canada Center? Did not realize. 12 years ago, that match took place. Wow. That's a long time ago. Alicia Fox and Mickey James took on Ember Moon and Nia Jax. They got the heat on. Oh, Nia Jax made her return. Big pop. That's Ember's partner. They got the heat on Moon for a long time. Fox dropped her with a running boot. Eventually, Moon was able to make the hot tag, and they were really into Nia. She uh, just attacked Fox and Mickey, hit a big beal and an avalanche. Uh, Mickey grabbed Nia by the throat and then let go and turned around, got hit with the eclipse. Fox then came off the ropes and was hit with a Samoan drop. Nia pinned her in 557, and they promoted the award that Nia Jax recently received from the 
National Advertisers See Her Award that she received. And I guess this is a potential, this could be award season for Nia Jax with the big game changer award that she has been nominated for by E. I really didn't realize she was uh, up for all these awards. Like, what what are these awards for? Like, I don't know the history of the National Advertisers See Her Award, but they, they explained it. It was, it was you know, um, promoting, uh, like, different body type, types for younger women to look up to. I see. Okay. Uh, yeah, I guess all the, uh, it's great, and I think it makes sense why Nia has received the push that she has, why she was called up as soon as she has, was, I guess, for, for reasons like this. Uh, so, cool. Um. I thought it was just a simple match kind of designed to set up her return. And in terms of a crowd reaction, I thought they were successful with, with the introduction. Yeah, interesting where they slot Nia Jax coming back now and what she fits into. I mean, I don't think we need another Alexa Bliss program with her. Maybe it's, I don't know. I don't know what you do with her. Hmm. Yeah, Alexa, I think, would be kind of... Um, the yeah. Riot Squad's all tied up, um, as is like Ronda and... The Bellas, I guess, with them. Um, yeah, I don't know. You, you have a lot of babyface women on the show at the moment. Yeah. Baron Corbin is with referee Rod Zapata, who I don't know if this man maybe just fell asleep outside in the Texas heat. Oh, my God. Like, we see some ridiculous tans sometimes in wrestling. This was next level. He's a, he's a very tan, sweaty man. Like, this was just crazy. Yeah. I noticed that, too. Like he in tells... A, in a former life, I feel like he would be a great, like, um, candidate for, like, the Jersey Shore. Yeah. Yeah, he certainly could be. He tells the referee to call it down the middle tonight and then forces him to address him by his title as acting general manager of Raw. Uh, then they brought up um, Hurricane Florence, those who have been affected by it, with information for American Red Cross. And apparently... Um, Matt Hardy's home was uh, somewhat damaged by this, but he did provide an update that everyone is fine. Scott Dawson, um, too. Yeah, Scott Dawson mentioned this as well. So, I mean, anyone who is affected, uh, we hope, is uh, okay. There have been, I believe, like 17 people have died from this hurricane. Roman Reigns, Baron Corbin was our main event for the Universal title. Corbin is going for roll-ups immediately, and we go through the commercial. We come back. And it's the visual that is just burned in my head when you say three-hour Raws. It's Baron Corbin's half Chinlock, half Nelson, this this uh, this gator hold. On, like, on, um, on the Sportsnet feed, they had, like, actually stayed with, like, the, the commercial feed uh, for, like, a long time. So, like, for, like, at least for, like, 30, 40 seconds, we got to see, like, the match during commercial. And it was Baron slowly entering this half-Nelson chinlock. And then we take the commercial, and we come back. He's still got this half-Nelson chinlock on. So I, 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 I feel for the people who had to sit through this live. This move is just like the universal sign of change the channel. Uh, okay, well, I, I'll say the actual just a plain rear chinlock would probably be that like Baron this is him being flat flashy no this is everything combined it's Baron Corbin it's this hold it's the length of time he uses this hold for yeah it's just the worst it's just the worst it's just the combination of all these factors together it's my kryptonite this move 
So Reigns fights free. He runs into a choke slam backbreaker by Baron Corbin. What does Baron do? He puts the hold back on. Roman is going to sleep, much like myself. Reigns then makes a comeback, of which Corey Graves actually said on national television, everything's turning up big dog. <laughs> yes. yes. Graves cannot explain how Reigns is doing this. He says it's got to be that he's jacked up on adrenaline. Corbin lands a strike from the floor, runs into a Samoan drop, and then it's Corbin back to the floor. Reigns hits a Superman punch off the steps, and then into the ring, he howls in the air, but Corbin goes back to the floor. So Reigns chases at him. Corbin grabs a chair, throws it at Reigns' face, and the DQ is called by the Tan Man. And Corbin pleads to him before realizing, I'm the general manager. So he has the match restarted, and it's now no DQ. So Corbin grabs a chair. He takes a Superman punch, and he kicks out. Then Reigns gets the chair. Braun comes out to distract Reigns. Corbin's attacking him. Strowman's attacking him. Then we have Corbin hitting a deep six for a two-count. That leads to Ziggler, McIntyre, Rollins, and Ambrose all coming out. The match continues. Rollins and Ambrose hit suicide dives to the floor. Reigns is left with Corbin. He spears him and pins Baron Corbin. I, I really didn't enjoy this main event. Um, I thought it was really overbooked. And, you know, I thought last night's main event was pretty overbooked too, but at least I felt like last night we had a tremendous payoff in the form of a couple big stunts from the cell uh, and even a Brock Lesnar appearance to boot. Um, I really didn't enjoy this match at all. I thought it was just a bit of a lazy way to set up that six man. No, it was amazing that they got the audience to react to some of the near falls at the end, but I was with you. It was just, this was way too late in the show to be watching Baron Corbin and, and his goddamn chin lock. Um, yeah, I, I, I really didn't get into this main event at the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. End so, of Raw. Yeah. Yeah, that was all. Don't really have to add more to it. Um, I, I guess what was, uh, what were your positives on Raw? Okay, positives. Uh, I I enjoyed the Ronda segment. I mean, I thought we had a couple great matches with uh, uh, Dean and uh, Seth uh, against Drew and, and Dolph. Uh, really enjoyed both of those. Gable, I think, looked good despite, I think, you know, the crowd not really being with him. Um, Taker's promo was, eh, you know, take it or leave it. And uh, trying to think what else. Leo Monday Rush. Monday Night Rollins. Yeah. The Undertaker promo. Yeah, I like Leo Rush. Yeah, I, I thought I thought Leo Rush had a had a good outing on this show. So, yeah, that was raw. I, I thought it was going at a fine pace for me, but the third hour really stalled things down for me. I um, really do think like the 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 ratio of TV time to Baron Corbin was way <laughs> too high on this show. So very I, very I, high. I have, I have a feeling like my my reaction to it at the end of discussing this show has a lot to do with that. Yeah, and I wonder what this. You know, I imagine Kurt's coming back and he's going to have a match with Baron Corbin. That's what I think is going to happen. Yeah, maybe. Sure. So that was Raw. Um, do we want to go to feedback right now or do you want to do New Japan quickly? Let's finish the Raw talk. So uh, let's let's do that. Okay. Well, let's go to the forum. Forum.postwrestling.com. And up first, we have our poll tonight. What did you think of Raw? Higher or lower than three? Wait. I'm going to say higher. 
6.9. Holy shit. That is one of the highest rankings we have ever had for Raw. Jesus, we got the Baron Corbin fans here. I don't understand. I, I, I'm out of touch. I'm, um... We are officially out of touch, at least with our uh, message board. Let's hear what they have to say. I love it. I love it anytime we have dissenting opinion. Oh, man. Our first one is Brendan from California. Oh, he moved? Just the... I don't... No, no, no. This is Brendan, not Brandon. Oh. Oh. It'd be I, I great if he, if he moved just to, to leave feedback from a different place. I can't really complain about this Raw. The matches were pretty good for the most part, and I personally enjoyed Baron Corbin as GM. Oh, my God. I foolishly... Well, there you go. This was your show of the year. I foolishly bought into a title change when the match broke down. I should have remembered Roman has mystic powers of recovery. Yeah, and you should remember that Baron Corbin has no powers. Uh, could you imagine Baron Corbin going off the air as our champion? I'd be like, wait, I'm done. Uh, call me when this title reign ends. I'm going on vacation. I mean, I, we weren't doing a podcast back when uh, WCW 2000 was occurring, but I could imagine feeling uh, very very much the same way as, as Dave Arquette winning the WCW championship if, if Baron Corbin were to win that belt. I've also got to mention Leo Rush. What a gem. He's probably the only hope of getting Lashley over, but I hope this role will eventually lead to Leo Rush wrestling in a prominent role on Raw. Do you guys see many of the feuds changing by the next pay-per-view? Other than Ronda, everyone else seems like they'll be staying on the same trajectory. Uh, if by next pay-per-view you mean the Australia card, no. I think everything's in place, and we have 10 matches announced. So that's what you're getting. A lot of uh, programs continuing, rematches. I mean, it's only three weeks away. So I don't think they're going to do a hard reset on any programs until after the Australia show. They made out a couple stipulations or, you know, uh, special guests. Here and there, but I don't see the the matches changing. Next month is going to be very tricky because you're going to be actively promoting two shows simultaneously with Evolution and the Saudi Arabia show. Like you don't even have a buffer of and, and then time summer, between Summer shows. SummerSlam is only like two weeks after Crown Survivor Jewel. Series. Yeah, sorry, Survivor Series is only two. Yeah, weeks after that Crown one. Jewel. Survivor Series is going to be a. Man, I just see it being thrown together because I can't imagine them they're going to push Survivor Series in this at all until Saudi Arabia's done. And yeah, you got two weeks until Survivor Series. They might, like if they have a big, uh, big event, a big comeback. But yeah, we'll see. Uh, we got a Terry who says a boring main event. Tired of Corbin booking himself in the main event. I'm looking forward to what they're going to do with Leo Rush and Bobby Lashley. Andrew from Cape Breton, I know WWE is looking at Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks, but if Baron Corbin was able to pluck red shoes, he wouldn't have had to deal with the craziness of the main event and just be able to use a thrown chair. Raw was okay tonight. Highlight of the night was Ruby Riot's incredible spear on Ronda Rousey, making me want to see a program with the two of them. Another bright spot was Leo Rush and Bobby Lashley. Feels like Bobby is going in a more positive direction, and maybe his career can go onward and upward. Six weird Baron Corbin face and arm lock things out of ten. We got a mark from Vaughn, finally, who says, I really enjoyed Leo Rush's involvement tonight. Lashley has been a non-factor due to presentation and writing, but I think this pairing has some legs if done correctly and can help both acts. Hmm, so it seems like Leo Rush is, is a bit of a highlight for a lot of people here. Question, how on the nose is that evolution? Is it that evolution is taking place mere days before Crown Jewel? The entire situation leaves a bad taste in my mouth, and I'm curious to see if any Canadian stars make the trip. Have you heard any rumblings on that yet? I have not heard anything about any Canadian performers uh, not being invited on no, the show. No, who, I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility. No, um, who would that entail on the roster? Owens, uh, Kevin Owens for sure. Yeah. Um, 
who else are prominent Canadians that uh well Zane obviously is injured. Bobby Roode. Yep. Um Ty Dillinger. Yeah. yeah. Tyler Breeze. Mm-hmm. So it's Owens would be the major one. Mm. Jinder Mahal. Yeah. If you oh, consider so, him Sunil so Singh as well. Yeah, the Sings, both Sings. Um so yeah, it's 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 a considerable number of people that I feel like uh, you'll see at least a number of them, if not all of them, on the show. Yeah. So, anyway. Uh, Brock Lesnar. Yeah, Brock Lesnar, I guess. Yeah. I, I guess I, maybe maybe he's the one that's going to uh, bring the peace together between the, yeah. the two countries. Yes, yes. They're like, well, we, we really want Brock on this show, so you know <laughs> what? Let's ease off our restrictions. New Japan. They held a card on Monday morning from Beppu. Uh, Beppu. I love saying Beppu. I know. Wouldn't you love to live in Beppu? Beppu. Uh, this was headlined by Tetsuya Naito, Minoru Suzuki, and uh, Wei's favorite, Taichi, challenging Hiroki Goto for the never openweight title. I thought this was a pretty dull show. Um, Did you watch the whole thing? I watched the entire thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, this show really dragged for me. I thought Hell in a Cell was a significantly better show. My match of the show was the main event. Um, but even that, I thought they went way too long in this main event. I thought that they were on a, they were going at a really good pace. I think it peaked with like the table stuff. And then they just continued so long. With that knee bar spot from Suzuki that was on for like five minutes. Like mm-hmm. I think they just feel this compulsion that a main event has to be 30 minutes. And this one went 32 it would have been so much better at 20 minutes, I thought. Did you have any, any different takeaway uh, for the top match, at least? No, I agree with you. Uh, I feel like... I think it's it's a bit... I mean, there was a lot of criticism of, of the match these two had back in April. And uh, I, I I don't recall how what my feelings were for that one. But, I mean, I, I, I feel like there's a fundamental problem with a pairing of these two. And I think it's because both of them, their characters are actually... Like maybe too similar. I feel like both men tend to work better with somebody who is a bit more uh, kind of clean cut baby face or somebody who can maybe kind of portray that element of like, uh, you know, uh, baby face struggle uh, a bit more. Obviously, I think Naito is, you know, a very strong baby face and the better baby face of the two. So he was in the right role here. But I, I, I really had an issue kind of buying into him, his his comeback and I know that sounds really terrible to say about Tetsuya Naito, but like his selling when he's in the submissions is really good. But for some reason, I never feel like he is, has to like really kind of dig deep to overcome impossible odds like I would for a Tanahashi or even an Okada. For me, it wasn't until that final slap fest when I started to like, by the way, that slap fest was just like, oh, my God, they intense. slapped the shit out of each other. Yeah. And it wasn't until this when I could actually start to see Naito's face turning red and swollen that I started to buy that this guy was now actually in some trouble and he was he had to, you know, come back to, to beat this Minoru Suzuki. And I started to feel like he was actually trying to survive. I mean, I feel like Naito matches I like a lot more when he plays sort of the, the heel in the lead. Um, so I love both wrestlers, but I don't think I necessarily love the combination of the two. Yeah, I was really getting into this at the beginning. Like you had Suzuki manipulating the hand, bending the fingers, even using the wrist, the wristband to pull back. And then they went into the crowd and then they built up to the spot around Suzuki grabbing the timekeeper's table. He nails Naito in the head with it, which actually cut him on the head. And then they set it up on the floor and uh, 
you had Suzuki lifting up Naito for the gotch pile driver on the edge of the apron, but Naito blocked it and then hit a reverse neck breaker, putting Suzuki through the table. And the look on Suzuki's face, his eyes are wide open, but it's this vacant stare into the sky. He looked like he was dying. And I was like, man, I was enjoying this so much more than the April match. And they're going along, and then they get back into the ring, and then it just... You had Suzuki attack the knee, and that was my same big criticism of their last match. It was just, they focused too much on this, and it was, it took me right out of it, and it was just dragging, and it was following a, a lengthy show that I I wasn't too inspired by the undercard. I mean, unlike Saturday's show in Hiroshima, I thought the undercard was used to push a lot of future matches, put some stuff in place. This undercard just felt like it was, this was straight up house show, which is fine, but you're labeling this as one of your destruction shows, and I, I just felt that this was a real throwaway show, and the main event kind of kind of lost me by, over the last 10, 12 minutes of it. For me, I think like seeing these two matches, or at least the undercards, it kind of it's kind of instructed me that um, you know only the main events are kind of worth watching if you're somebody who just likes to pick and choose kind of you know your one New Japan show a, a year. But maybe, but are we going to talk about this Tai Chi Goto match? Of course. So this was Tai Chi's big title challenge for Goto. And the beginning of the match saw Tai Chi just killing time. He's constantly going to the floor. Uh, Miho Abe is distracting the referee. And this was our first bit of interference in the match with Yoshinobu Kanemaru coming to attack Goto on the floor as Tai Chi was able to get a chair and started using weapons on Goto. And it was Goto constantly having to fight back here against Tai Chi. We had tons of run-ins in this match, like just over and over and over again with uh, Desperado coming out, with Kanemaru getting involved several times, and then Takeshi Azuka, who earlier in the night had attacked Kevin Kelly in the most comical attack you have ever seen of an announcer uh, with Kelly's reaction. How did so, you like uh, Mark Warzeka again? You know what? On this show, he had his moments like I... Definitely sense like a chemistry with these two. Um, but there were other times where I just felt he didn't really have much to add. I think you're really missing something not having a wrestler in that color role that, you know, if you're going to be there, it has to be, it can't be just to kind of mimic what Kevin Kelly is already providing. Like I want someone that's going to be providing something different and hence we have a two-man team. So, you know, I thought they were fine. And from my understanding, they're probably doing a Sunday show as well together. Um, I don't know why Rocky Romero wasn't used. I think Chris Charlton wasn't available. Um, and they were planning to use uh, this guy, Mark, anyway. God, I, 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 th- I wish they would at least just, like, Skype Chris Charlton in just to do the translations. Because I couldn't hear the dude that they, were, they, they used today at all. Yeah, this was a different guy than Saturday. And Clearly, yeah, the guy they got this time was not like any type of trained broadcaster. He was just uh, somebody who works there who knows how to who knows both languages that they you know put in this situation. So, but but you know, I think man, like somebody on the level of a Chris Charlton, if Chris isn't available, I think is is required for a lot of this. Um, but you know, I'll tell you, like I really, at least in the main event. Sorry, I'm jumping back and forth, but I really like like uh, Mark Warzeka pretending or acting like he was scared like shitless of, of, of Naito and, and Suzuki anytime they got near him. Like he would just get up out of his chair and run away like multiple times throughout the, the broadcast. Yeah, my 
my mind, I guess, was drifting at times. Like there were certain times he'd have these one liners that his delivery sounds like slightly like Dennis Miller that I got that like stuck in my head. Like, <laughs> oh, the surgeon Minoru Suzuki. Like it was just, you know, I'd be curious. I'd be curious to hear him on his own, like do play by play, you know, rather than having kind of like a double play by play team. Yeah, I don't want to say like it wasn't bad. It was just um, it's different. I think you've been we've been used to certain commentators, and it was just an adjustment going to to these two on this show. Which I, yeah, like they play off each other very well. Mm-hmm. They were they were fine, um, but it, it it's not like the greatest commentary team that's going right now. Certainly, uh, back to the the Tai Chi match with Goto. So. Rapongi 3K ended up coming out to take away Kanemaru and Desperado. That looks to be our next uh, junior heavyweight tag title match. Goto hits the Shotenkai, but Red Shoes was taken out during this whole uh, this whole interaction with uh, Suzuki Gun and Chaos. And Goto's just got to kill time forever. He hits a reverse GTR. Red Shoes comes alive. Taichi kicks out, and this is when Takeshi Azuka appears. He gets knocked off the apron. Taichi then hits a low blow, uses the Gato clutch for a convincing near fall. And then Taichi lands a super kick, last ride powerbomb, another near fall. And then he finishes off Goto with an air raid crash, wins the match. Everyone is stunned. It went 20 minutes and 55 seconds. Um, We talked about, you know, the two big matches Taichi had this year were against Tetsuya Naito and Hiroshi Tanahashi. And would Goto be able to get a great match out of Taichi? I thought the answer was no. Did you have a different answer? No, not on the level of those other two. No, certainly not. Um, I think I think maybe how you feel about this match might depend on maybe how how you feel about Taichi in general. Like, I he plays this kind of like very lackadaisical wrestler who barely does enough to get by. He stalls to start the match and then uses every shortcut to gain advantage. And, you know, if that's his intent, I feel like he p- continues to portray that well. Uh, it, it turns into a match that I don't think your typical New Japan fan would really enjoy. But for me, I I would say I, I didn't hate this at all. I thought the run-ins, to me, were to create a feeling of odds being stacked against Goto, which is more than I can say for a lot of, like, BCOG run-ins during the G1. Um and I think overall, I'm just a, a fan of how weird this character of Tai Chi is. He's this like steampunky dude who is, uh, tries to remain incredibly faithful to making sure he lip syncs every lyric of his entrance music, but doing such a bad job, lazy job at it at the same time. And then all of a sudden, in the middle of his matches, he breaks into like a a Kawada impression. He like he's suddenly possessed by Kawada and throwing in like Gaman Giri's and 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 uh, you know uh, 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 all, like all those types of po- uh, power bombs and all that stuff. It's just so weird to me because like as a combo, it makes no sense. But like even though I wasn't overly impressed with the match, I found myself entertained and engaged throughout. But I I could see myself being in a minority there. All right, so um, that was the. New Japan show. Those are the two key matches. Um, undercard stuff, if you want to look at, I do have a full report up on the site. Um, you know, there was uh, some decent stuff on the undercard, um, but I, I would not recommend this show as one that you have to go out of your way to check out. I think that, um, yeah, I think there was lo- a lot more to take away from Saturday's show than this one. 
Um, before we go, some unfortunate news here. Um, it appears um, Crazy B, which was the uh, the team that uh, Kid Yamamoto was uh, a part of, has put out a statement that he has passed away. Uh, he yes, he was. It was recently reported that he was suffering from cancer, and yeah, he's uh, only forty one years old. Uh, if you're not familiar with Kid Yamamoto, um, there was a time. I mean, he came from a really uh, well known family uh, in Japan of of wrestlers, and he became the face of K one Heroes and was one of the biggest uh, combat sports celebrities in Japan. Um, you know, on New Year's Eve one year, um, having, you know, a fight that was viewed by millions and millions of people. Like, he was a giant deal. Uh, for years, they had talked about him coming over to the U.S. and a potential dream match with Uriah Faber when he was the top featherweight in the WEC. He eventually did come uh, to the UFC. He didn't have a lot of success in the UFC and ha- had left there a while back. And then the, the news about his cancer had just come out man, over the past month. So really sad news. Um, very, very big name, especially uh, in Japan and in combat sports history. Wow, that's incredibly fast. Uh, or at least like, I mean, I, I obviously the cancer had already progressed like quite, 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 uh, quite far when, when the news came up. But I mean, I feel like I just heard about that and all of a sudden this. So man, fuck, that sucks, man. That really sucks. Um, I know his family has had some ties to, to the city actually. Uh, one of his sisters, I believe, at least uh, for a good portion, trained like in in the area. So uh, it's very unfortunate. Yeah, he had, um, you know, his his probably his his peak as a, as a draw was probably around like two thousand four to two thousand six, two thousand seven. Um, it was when he took on Masato. That was on uh, the K one Dynamite card on New Year's Eve. 2004 and in japan that was just an unbelievably enormous fight and you know he he suffered a big knee injury i recall uh around he was i believe going to train for the 2008 olympics i think he was going to make a uh a run at the olympics Mm -hmm. and i think got hurt in the process there and then when he came back he didn't he ended up going a year and a half without fighting and when he came back uh, this was when Dream had launched, um, and he started fighting for them, uh, lost a fight to Joe Warren, and then fought for them a few more times. And then it was in 2011 he came to the UFC. His first fight in the UFC was against Demetrius Johnson when Johnson was still fighting at 135 pounds. Uh, lost to Johnson, lost to Darren Uyenoyama, and then Von Lee. And his last MMA fight was back in February of 2015. And I know he had done... He did an exhibition fight with Masato on New Year's Eve 2015, and I think that was his last uh, fight of any note at that point. And again, very young. He was only uh, 41 years old. So uh, we will have more on that on Tuesday on the site, but want to pass that along here at the end. So that's going to wrap up the show, everybody. Thank you for listening. Uh, We are going to be back on Tuesday night with Rewind to SmackDown. We will be going through that and... Uh, All of our shows this week you can find at postwrestling.com as well as postwrestlingcafe.com. And uh, thank you to everyone that tuned in Sunday night uh, for our Hell in a Cell post show, including uh, the video stream that I think went very well away. Yeah, it was fun to do that. We'll probably aim to do that uh, for a number of um, pay-per-views. 
All right. That is it for us. Uh, Thank you, everyone, for listening, and we'll speak with you on Tuesday night.